Welcome to 4.0 to Pro, the only pickleball podcast that focuses on a single shot, tip, or strategy to improve your pickleball game with every single bite-sized episode. Our goal is to make you better on the court every time you hear our voices. And now your hosts, 4.something Michael O'Neill and USA Pickleball National Silver Medalist, Senior Pro Scott Fliegelman. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of 4.0 to Pro. It is me, Michael O'Neill, here in sunny Long Beach, California. I'm joined, as always, by Senior Pro and National Silver Medalist, in gymnastics. No, Mr. Scott Fliegelman. So not going, in dude? gymnastics. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mike. We're going to talk today about ground strokes, which maybe three years ago wasn't a conversation that we would be having, but they have in the last three years due to paddle technology, due to a lot of tennis players, a lot of these D1 players coming into pickleball have showed us that having a, having a ripping ground stroke and or varying modulations of ground strokes can be a huge asset to the pickleball game. I feel like we're really dissing the D2 tennis player. I mean, those are some darn good tennis players. And I mean, I played D1, but I played lower level D1. There were some D2 players that could kick my butt. So shout out to the D2 tennis player. You're a D1B. So why don't we first talk about, I'm so I definitely be a guy that prefers a third shot drive. I think a lot of times people go to the third shot drive if they come from tennis, because that's a, that's a safe haven for us. I'm on the left-hand side, ball comes down the middle. It's reasonably high. It's not super low. Yeah. Bring it. I'm going to try to fire it down the middle. And that's partially because a couple things. Number one, it's very safe for me. I know the shot. And number two, maybe my drop shot's not that good yet. You know, maybe I don't have that lovely arcing drop to get both of us into the kitchen. And then we've got sort of this new hybrid third or new school third, which reduces some of the speed of that drive. But maybe I'm not that uh, comfortable with that either. So, you know, those are examples of when you might go, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire it. When do you see guys driving and, and not, Scott? You know, Michael, over the last couple of years, as I was formulating what I now refer to as the th- new school third methodology, you know, prior to kind of giving it that name, I would say there are four occasions where I prefer what I like to call a conservative drive over a traditional third shot drop. The first would be they hit a super deep return and it has me backing up up against the fence where my traditional third shot drop percentage just isn't very good. Yeah. Uh, so you got to drop be- from... 30 feet or something, right? Yeah. None of us, you know, have a great batting average on those. The next occasion would be a super spinny return. It's got a bunch of spin on it and that's a great return. And that also compromises my ability to make a traditional third shot drop. The next occasion would be a super windy day. And I don't care which way that wind is going, that's going to impact our ability to put that ball in the kitchen. And the fourth one is you've just netted your last seven third shot drops in a <laughs> row. Let, right. Let's try something different. Right. You know, let's go ahead and put the ball on their paddle, let them hit a fourth and, you know, we can kind of go from there. But those are four occasions where I prefer a conservative line drive as opposed to a traditional third shot drop. And this is really, you're, you're not really trying to fire a winner by them as much as you're trying to hit it at their feet at that point, right? In each of those occasions, definitely not trying to hit a winner. 
Yeah. I am aiming in the direction of the returner. If I can get it toward their feet or their knees while they're still in the transition area, great. It's one of the basic tenets of the new school third. For me, coming from a big tennis background, if I hit it 65% pace, that's still impactful and I can put it in play 98% of the time. So whatever your 65% is, you know, as far as pace, you know, should raise your success rate up into the 90s. And odds are quite good you'll get a more favorable dropping opportunity on the next shot. In the the 4-0 to 5-0 range, or the 4-0 to pro range, as we discuss here on this particular podcast, I find, or at least what I, in my mentality, if I just fire at somebody's body with a really hard shot, sometimes they can't handle it. You know, it's just, that's what it is. So I either go down the middle and kick a field goal, which is what I like to call it. If I just fire one down the middle and it, 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 it'll probably dip, it'll have some topspin on it. It's probably more than 60% to be honest, but, but the percentage that it doesn't go in and or clips the net is 100% higher than your 2% that you're getting from your 98 percentage drive. But it is fun to drill it at people. <laughs> That is a thing. But, and then also the shake and bake where you're, you're, you're firing it at somebody and then they really can't handle it and they pop the ball up. But I suppose the same thing could happen if you just hit a really good sort of hybrid third shot, you know, new school where it's low and they've got to pop it up to get it over the net anyway, right? Well, let's be clear. What we were talking about earlier, I gave those four scenarios where I prefer a conservative line drive over a traditional drop. These are very deep returns. What you're describing in my mind is a little juicier opportunity Mm. uh, where that returns a little shorter. Yeah. And now it brings into play the go ahead and drill the player closest to you, which may not even be the returner. So that's an opportunity to try something a little bit different and or the, the shake and bake, the field goal, the one right down the middle. I mean, well, you know, boy, that looks good. It's yeah. a hero shot. It feels great. I tend to holster that a little bit and I go with what I like to think of as an aggressive dink to the the player on the left side, their low backhands. And, you know, good things tend to follow from there. I feel like I can get that ball into their low backhand nine and a half out of 10 times, whereas my field goal percentage down the middle is probably 50 or 60%. Yeah. And and the ones that go in feel great, but you know, I lost the the rally on the other four. Right. So we like to shake and bake in Seal Beach. That's a, that's a thing we like to do. There's a couple guys I play with and they're like, you know, let's go. And so if we know the other guy's got a nice drive, the shake and bake, for those of you who have not shook or book, is you, especially if you get that short return that's a little juicy, you're basically firing the ball if you can at the person, you're firing body on somebody, assuming that they will not be able to handle it and that ball is going to pop up. So as you are firing the ball, your teammate is closing in, assuming that that ball is going to be popped up in some way. So you've done the shake, which is the drive, and then the bake is your teammate putting that ball away. And it's a very, very satisfying order of events in pickleball. Yeah, I, I love to be on both ends of the shake and bake. There, There's the intentional shake and bake. You come out of a timeout or you get to chit-chat a little bit in between points and you say, hey, let's uh, let's tee off on this one and let's look for a shake and bake. But then, you know, at forward to pro, you should be looking for that opportunity to bake at any time. Right. You know, if, if you're my partner and you're hitting the third, I, I'm 
you know, I've got my eyes open for something that I can respond to aggressively, whether it's on quote my side or your side of the court. Because in my in my world, if I'm closer to the net, it's only 20 feet of court. I'm going to take that ball, no matter yeah. where it is. If I'm closer right, right, to right. the first dibs. You know, one of the things we say is let's make them earn every drop. So if you are on the receiving team and you're the one who's closest to the net for that particular point, you know, they serve, your teammate returns it that drop better be perfect because whoever's closest to the net, I don't care what side they're on, they're looking to, to, to poach it or put it away. So it really puts pressure on the other team. They have a kind of a sliver of an alley to put that ball into, which is going to be the furthest away from you. Because if it's in the middle or if it's in a couple feet into your zone and it ain't low, it's over. And it really does make a, I, I've, you know, I'll tell you, I was surprised so much by that when I played with 5-0 people. Like a backhand or forehand didn't matter. If that drop wasn't good, it was just getting drilled. And it was like, whew, okay, we better be a little better about this and or dig into this, you know, hybrid or, or, or new school third. It was very cool. Yeah, and, and I was about to give myself a sales pitch for the new school third because when when I post some of, my content, you know, about that. A lot of times people will say, yeah, but if I'm the, the, the player on the returning side closest to the net, I'm going to poach that ball off. Sure. And I say, you know, I'm hitting that ball knee high at, and I don't care which one of you hits it from your knees. Go for it. (laughs) You know, if you want to cut the ball off and hit it knee high, you have to stand behind the kitchen line. I'm aiming for three or four feet deep behind the kitchen line. Either one of you are welcome to hit that ball up. Right. So that, that's a benefit ready. to that type of shot. Yeah, 100%. What about for some of the people that didn't come from, you know, I was a tennis brat when I was a kid. So I was seven years old on the court and then tournaments and all that stuff through high school. What about people that didn't have the, that kind of background and or the people that came from tennis and how they might have to adapt their game a little bit for the technique of the pickleball drive? Yeah, I think regardless of backgrounds, you know, if you're newer to the game, I think it's a great time for the one-on-one lesson to mm. work on the mechanics that are unique to to pickleball and the ground stroke. If you've come from tennis, you've got a great head start. Uh, the higher the level tennis background, the, the better. But you you could still really benefit from having a lesson, probably from a converted tennis pro would be great to give you the necessary tips to impart topspin with equipment that's just not as good at making topspin as a tennis racket and, and, a, and a ball with felt on it. If you have right. no tennis backgrounds, you really need some help. It's going to be very difficult to learn topspin on your own. I mean, there are online resources, but it's just a great use of 60 minutes and, and a few bucks. Whereas a lot of the time I recommend strategically focused lessons with two or three others and a coach where you don't get into the mechanics as much. But this is a good opportunity for a one-on-one lesson uh, to yeah. work on those mechanics. You know, a lot of people say that when you come over from racquetball, they're like, oh yeah, well, you must've been a racquetball player. Man, there is no shot. Actually, there's one shot that translates to pickleball from racquetball, and that's the ATP. It's the around the post shot because it's the only low flat shot that we hit in pickleball. Otherwise, the things that can translate is court movement, 
you know, ball awareness, where you are on the court, overall stepping into shots. Although I do find that in pickleball, especially in singles, I'm I'm converting to more open stance than I am closed for my ground strokes, which I think maybe follows the trend of what happened in tennis as well. You know, it's very different than when I, you know, learned to play tennis in the 70s where you were stepping in smoothly with your left foot and then stepping in smoothly with your right foot for the backhand. It's just the open thing is it just allows you to recover quicker. I've also noticed, and, and tell me if this is incorrect, Scott, that my my back swings are much more compact in pickleball than they are in tennis, like by, by a big margin. Well, they've probably been throughout your pickleball journey. And now that you've got a carbon one X in your hands, sure. your backswing is, is even shorter. Yes, it does continue it, to shorten. Which is great. You know, we, we need compact backswings across the, the board. It's a tiny court. Right. So we really don't need a giant backswing. I like to say for our converting tennis players that we're taught, you know, to make a reverse C as part of their backswing. It starts up around eye level, works its way down below contact point, and, and there you go. Yeah. I'm fine with a reverse C, but instead of a capital C, make it a lowercase C. Right. You, know, you can just make a nice tight little C there, and you can still have the similar stroke mechanics that you're accustomed to without hitting the ball over the fence. Well, it's almost like the, the, the paddle itself can almost stay and it's, it's the elbow and the hips that are moving. And you get this again, very, in fact, pickleball in general is a far more compact swing in almost every aspect than, than what I might be used to in tennis. To totally agree. Much tinier court and, and the equipment's just not as sophisticated. You taught me something the last time we worked together about how even topspin, uh, which would be traditionally how I would learn topspin would be from six, you know, if we're looking at a clock, six o'clock to 12 o'clock would be topspin. But you have, there was a new take on it. And since I've adapted it into my game, I really understand why you suggested it. So I like the clock face analogy and coming from tennis, you know, we would teach to brush up on the ball, making contact at six o'clock or the bottom of the clock face and rolling over, you know, to 12 noon or midnight. And that produces that linear top spin that works in tennis due to the strings that grab the ball and the felt that allows the ball to be grabbed. And that works fine. But we miss both of those in pickleball. And a six to 12 stroke path tends not to have the ball dwell on the paddle face long enough to produce much, if any, RPMs uh, of topspin. So what I prefer to do as a right-handed player hitting a forehand is visualize five o'clock on the bottom of the clock face to 11 o'clock at the top of the clock face. Now I'm imparting a little bit of side spin, a little bit of topspin, and I'm grabbing the ball. I'm caressing the outside of the ball. I'm keeping the ball on the paddle face just a tiny fraction longer than if I allow the ball to leave my paddle face a little bit sooner. And that's reliable and it creates the shape that I want to be on a ball, you know, a drive from the baseline. You know, I want that ball to rise a little bit and then dip aggressively. So that five to 11 stroke pattern tends to be more effective in pickleball. Right. So you can obviously transpose that if you're a lefty, you'd, you'd be, you know, seven to one if you're a lefty hitting a forehand and five to 11 if you're a lefty hitting a backhand. Let's talk about where to drive, Scott. We've touched on it a bit. If you get a, a deep ball and you want to, 
you know, you want to hit a drive because it, you're a few feet off the back of the baseline. You don't want to try to hit a drop from that far, which would be what? So it would be, what'd you say, 22 feet plus however far back you are? Plus so X, maybe you're, yeah. Yeah, so, so maybe you're, you're 27, 28 feet trying to drop a ball into a, a really small window, which really is just going to get drilled probably. So now you've got this opportunity to hit this hybrid 60% shot and then the one I like, well, really the one anybody that has a drive likes, which is the shorter ball that's a little higher, and then you've got some options. So for me, I love when I'm playing left side, someone hits a relatively short return, I'm going to typically try to punch it down the middle. I'm going to try to hit that field goal. That is one of my favorite shots. It's lovely to watch it just drill by someone before they can react to it. And if I'm on the left side, uh, my favorite shot in pickleball, and again, this is so low percentage. This is me telling you, Scott, that yes, I am indeed a four point something. That 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 ball that comes, I'm on the left-hand side. I've served, they've returned. It's making me drift to the left. I could either hit a backhand or I could step back a little bit and drill a forehand down the to the right side of the op opponent there. And oh man, is that a satisfier. I actually, I call it the satisfier. That's what I call that shot. Well, you did say you were a tennis brat, and and it that's was. where that comes from, you know. Yeah. And the inside out or the outside in forehand, where you slightly run around your backhand. I mean, that is a very satisfying shot. It's funny as you're describing that, I'm thinking, you know, I'm doing a little inventory on myself. Yeah. And the first year I played pickleball, I hit a ton of those. Right. And I can't tell you the last time I've done that. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, it's, well, it's really satisfying, but it's not a very high percentage play. Yeah. So I am more inclined when that same exact scenario, and I keep in mind the entire match, I've pretty much been going 60% new school third at the feet of the returner, who is the diagonal from me in this, in my scenario. So if I drill that ball at the net player who's closest to me, they are not expecting it. Right. Mostly because I haven't gone in their direction in 45 minutes. Right. So that's uh, a great time for me to go body. Yes. Which also helps that if I happen to hit it two feet long and they hit it, well, we're never going to find out that it's going to go two feet long because it's hard to get out of the way. That's right. Because you've drilled those shots. It. So that's a little safer ball. And playing with the paddles we play with now, Michael, let's make sure you and I and anybody else playing carbon or the like... Let's miss these shots long, not low and short. Right. We're producing a decent amount of topspin. Let's give it a fighting chance of dropping or give yeah. them a decent chance of hitting it. But putting these in the net is the last thing we want to do. So on instinct, as we were chatting here, I, I decided to Google the satisfier just to see what I thought of that shot. <laughs> Ooh. And Ooh. turns out that it's not only a great pickleball <laughs> shot, but it's, it's great for the ladies as well. So, so <laughs> every... Everybody wins is the answer <laughs> to, that, to that one. You say, however, again, apropos of nothing I just talked about, you need a compelling reason to not just go at the returner's knees. <laughs> all right, now, now let's be, we're, now we're being silly. <laughs> it's just all me. So yeah. Scott says, you need a compelling reason not to go at the returner's knees. That, that, that's your hybrid. That's the 60%. That's the new school, right? Yes. And, and I describe it for you and our listeners and for me that is not 100% of the time, just I need a compelling reason to do something different. Right. And that compelling reason could be the, the 
the player directly across from me, who's not the returner, is asleep. They're, they're not accustomed to me going in their direction. So let me wake them up. You know, right. let, me, let me get that ball on them. You know, so I, I've also offered a rare circumstance where I'm going to hit a third shot topspin lob. And those, right. two, those two occasions are I'm hitting into a stiff breeze. I like that. Yeah. And we've got an unstacked lefty on the other side, which means we've got two backhands in the middle. Yeah. So that's a compelling reason to do something a little bit different. Go ahead and throw a lob down the middle. Good things will happen. I've used that because of this very show. It's funny, as I I edit these podcasts, it's as if I have a clinic going as I'm editing, which is great. Like, it all sticks in my head. So these shows are making me better. Are they making you better? That is the question. If you are enjoying these podcasts, please reach out to us. Go to 402p.com. We've got a contact form there. I think you can do 402 to pro on Gmail. You know, it's a whole thing. So that should make your drives a little bit better. Hope you've enjoyed this episode, Scott. Thank you, sir, as always. Thank you, Michael. Good evening. You've now just listened to another episode of 4.0 to pro. Get out there, play a little pickleball, go have some fun. We will see you on the Thank you for listening to 4.0 to Pro. For more tips, find us on Instagram at 4.0 to Pro. If you have a pickleball question, submit it at picklehelp.com. Now, get out there and dominate. But don't forget to have fun. <laughs>